you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me please to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Most of you are aware that over the last few weeks we have been working our way through the book of 1 Kings, looking at the life of Elijah. And today we come to our penultimate study in Elijah in chapter 19, and we're reading verses 1 through 14. Beginning at chapter 19, verse 1. We finished last Sunday morning with Elijah standing up against Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And as we come to chapter 19, we see a different side of Elijah. And we see this side for the first time. And as you begin to immerse yourself in chapter 19, what you discover is this, that it comes as something of an overwhelming surprise. Because how Elijah responds to a threat from the Queen Jezebel is, to say the least, surprising. It catches us off guard. So please follow as we begin 1 Kings 19 at verse 1. Now we have the king told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell fast asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. I mentioned moments ago that as we come to chapter 19, it comes to us as something of a surprise, to say the least. Because what we have learned over the last few Sunday mornings, as we have got deeper and deeper into the story of Elijah, is that Elijah is a remarkable leader at a national level in ancient Israel. We have seen him at times as fearless, uncompromising, prayerful, We've learned multiple lessons as we've studied Elijah. But the main lesson we've noticed that is repeated week by week by week is this. That regardless of the circumstances, challenges and blessings of your life, you can absolutely trust in the invincibility of God's grace. And we're about to see that rolled out again this morning. Seconds ago I mentioned he was a fearless, uncompromising, prayerful, patient leader. He certainly was that. But today we see a different side of Elijah. Here we see an Elijah who vacillates between courage and fearfulness, optimism, pessimism, hopeful, hopeless. And he is crushed by the oppressive weight of his own responsibilities. And so we see a very different Elijah this morning. And let me try and illustrate what we're about to discover as we get further and further into chapter 19. And let me use an old illustration from way back in the 15th century. Middle of the 14th century, in fact... The Battle of Agincourt takes place between England and France. And if you're familiar with medieval history, you will know it was a spectacular battle in terms of the numbers involved. There was 20,000 French troops, 8,000 English troops, and in fact, Henry V and his English troops came out on top, surprisingly, quite victorious. And the question for military historians is this, how can 8,000 defeat 20,000 fully armed men of war? And most historians say there were multiple reasons, but the primary reason was down to the use of English archers. And we back then, we boys in England, grew up to be archers. And they would start at this height with a very small short bow and they would learn archery. And as they grew and matured in through teenage years into adolescence and then eventually fully matured men, they would eventually be given what was called the English longbow. It's about six feet in height. It comes from the yew tree. When you pull back an English longbow, you pull it back to your ear, you watch carefully your target, the drawing strength on that is somewhere between 60 to 80 pounds, and as you aim carefully and you loose the bow, the arrow fires somewhere around the power of 60 to 80 pounds and is accurate up to 300 yards. In Agincourt, the English archers 
were loosing up to a thousand arrows per second. And they won the day. Archers being brought up to develop this skill were also told this, and it was drummed into them. If you constantly keep the bow bent, it will eventually snap. And so as soon as they had finished their main activity with the bow, they would take the string off and the bow would straighten up again. And if you looked at an English longbow, it simply looks like a long piece of timber. Now, of course, it's shaped with a power in the middle, but it stands up straight. And my point in that illustration is this. If emotionally, spiritually, physically, you live under constant pressure and stress, there is going to come a time when you will snap. Now, whether that's in your working environment, whether that's in your home, whether you're neglecting your health, all of those issues play a part into defining who you are. And as the archers tell us, if you keep the bow constantly bent, eventually it's going to snap. And so all of that by way of introduction as we come to chapter 19. In chapter 18, Stan was with us last Sunday morning, reminded us in a very powerful way that in chapter 18, Elijah had reached the very heights of his career as an Old Testament prophet. He stood alone, a solitary figure against 400 prophets of Baal, against Dahab the king, Jezebel the queen, the most influential, powerful, wealthiest people in the entire nation. And he stood alone against them, defeated them. As we come into chapter 19, we see the other side of that coin, and I mentioned it earlier. He was in chapter 18, as we said earlier, fearless, uncompromising, prayerful, patient, strong, capable, remarkable leader. A man who instinctively, prayerfully trusted in the invincibility of God. But as we come to chapter 19, things change. And notice what happens Elijah is threatened by Jezebel. And in verse 3, we read these remarkable words. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And the question, of course, is why? What's happened since Elijah stood alone, this solitary, uncompromising figure, to a man who receives a threat from the queen And he flees for his life. And we find in this passage that not only does he flee for his life, he reverts to discouragement, despondency, depression, physically exhausted, his energy is depleted, he's emotionally exhausted, and he could no longer simply shake it off and move on. And you may well be tempted to say, now Richard, hold on a minute. What happened to the Elijah we know and love? What happened to this fearless, uncompromising, courageous leader? What was it where very quickly he moves from defeating 400 prophets of Baal to the threat of Jezebel and he 
pretty much collapses. If you never unbend the bow, eventually it's going to break. And that's exactly what was happening to Elijah. If you look back at historical figures, if you look at state and national leaders today, if you've ever found yourself in a position of leadership in your home or in your office environment or wherever you work, some of our most vulnerable moments come after moments of great triumph and victory, after we've won the contract, after we've managed to get through a crisis in our marriage, after we have moved on through some of the most debilitating challenges of our life, it is when the victory is won, we are often at our most vulnerable. Those who mountain climb or enjoy hiking will tell you that on the way up to conquer the final peak, They are filled with motivation and desire. They're excited. They can't wait to get there. And when they get to that final peak and conquer it, they often will sit down, take off their hiking boots, have something to drink, open up their backpack, have their lunch, and look back down over this just spectacular vista in terms of scenery and all that they can see. And they look back down the trail they have come. But experienced mountain climbers and hikers will tell you, on the way back down, please be careful. Because your natural excitement has left you. Energy is a little more depleted. You are celebrating what you've completed, busy chit-chatting with others on the walk. And if you're not careful, you'll not step where you want to step. Or in an unguarded moment, you'll step on a rock or a stone and it will turn. And before you know it, you've twisted an ankle and you're hobbling off the hill. Same with Elijah. He had poured himself out. He had invested. And now he was utterly and absolutely exhausted. And we can understand exactly that. And so at a moment of tiredness, discouragement, he flees for his life. And notice how the passage develops. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, and please notice this, he left his servant there which means he went on alone. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, and he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Now this isn't that Elijah simply had enough. He is absolutely exhausted at every level living with endless pressure over the last few years, spiritually, mentally, we've mentioned, exhausted. He's been able to stand firm against insurmountable odds. And now he's exhausted. So let me ask you, have you ever been there? that describe you when you have been running so hard day after day after day after day month after month without a break and the pressure has been mounting and mounting and mounting and mounting and it's beginning to crush you 
Maybe you're grieving over past events that did not work out as you had hoped. And you have prayed and prayed and prayed and hoped that the Lord would intervene. And there was no answer. You've wrestled with derailed dreams and hopes. Disappointed that they've come to nothing. And your high hopes have collided with the harsh realities of life. And you are discouraged and despondent. And Elijah sadly leaves his servant, goes off on his own, seeking solace and comfort on his own. And may I suggest this? When we feel like that, we often seek isolation. And it's usually not a good move And Elijah discovers what generations have discovered since. There is little shade beneath the branches of discouragement and loneliness. And he hits rock bottom in isolation and solitude. And he prays, Lord, take my life. If you're there, let me encourage you, please don't cut yourself off. Friends bring encouragement and prayer. They get alongside you. They bring strength and objectivity. And they're there to help. Don't isolate yourself. And the other thing we notice fairly quickly is this, that Elijah is not thinking straight. He's not thinking biblically. He's not saying to himself, now wait a wee minute. Over the last several years, God has been faithful to me step after step, challenge after challenge, deep and difficult days. God has been right there with me. It's the pain of the moment that's overwhelming Elijah. And Elijah's about to realize that God never abandons you in the emotion of the moment. He will not surrender you to that. Never. But Elijah is driven by his feelings, and we understand that entirely. And he lies down and falls fast asleep. It highlights the importance for us of physical rest. Then an angel of God wakes him up, because God is far from finished with Elijah. And notice what he says, verse 6, all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and then lay down again. Physical rest, healthy nourishment, crucial when you're going through challenging days. Please don't neglect them. And notice what else doesn't happen. The angel doesn't wake him up and says to him, Elijah, come on. You know better than this. You know God has been right there with you. You know great is thy faithfulness. Elijah, what are you thinking? Come on, pull yourself together, man. Get up. Pull up your bootstraps. It's time to start engaging once more, Elijah. Gosh, we are disappointed in you. None of that happens. None of that happens. Elijah is given Rest, relaxation. He doesn't need the angel to give him a hard time. He needs encouragement. And he needs first and foremost to rest in the presence of Almighty God 
to feel his comforting presence, his tender touch, his renewal and refreshing presence. And Elijah is about to discover that man cannot live by bread alone. Do those words sound familiar? And so he sleeps again. And after he sleeps, the angel wakes him up and he goes on and travels for another. The passage tells us 40 days and 40 nights strengthened by food. And verse 9, then he went into a cave and spent the night. And notice what comes next. And if you forget everything about what we have said this morning, put a little tick between next to verse 9 in the margin of your Bible. And if you're watching from home taking notes, please don't miss out chapter 19, verse 9. This is what's called the linchpin of the entire chapter. And we read, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He had physical rest. He has been given nourishment. He is strengthened. And now the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Let's pause for a second and we'll come back to Elijah. About 25, almost 30 years ago now, for the first time as a young adult, I visited my dentist And he said, you have an abscess. It wasn't a tooth up here. I had no idea what an abscess was. I knew I had toothache. And eventually the dentist said to me, now, Richard, before we can treat the toothache and deal with it, we have to deal with the abscess. So let me give you some antibiotics. And they will attack the bacteria that's down in the root nerve of that tooth. Come back and see me in about three days. We'll make a second appointment. And in about three days, that should have cleared up the infection and we can begin to go to work on that tooth. Now, I kind of half listened to the dentist and wasn't really paying that much attention. All I heard was, take these antibiotics, come back in three days and we'll fix it. I thought that was fine. Then I discovered why he'd given me antibiotics. If you've ever had an abscess, and it is not treated in a timely manner, you will know that the nerve in the root becomes inflamed. And any time you have an inflamed nerve, that's going to be painful. And the night before I was due to go back, the pain got so severe. My face began to swell, this eye began to shut, and I could not think of anything else than the pain it was causing. I remember walking back and forward in the living room at four o'clock in the morning, shaking my head back inside, putting pressure on my face, hoping that somehow this would help. didn't help in the least. I went to my doctor's office at eight o'clock the following morning. He said, yep, we know exactly what an abscess is. I'm going to give you some uh, very heavy duty painkillers don't drive, let your wife drive you home, take them, go and see your dentist this afternoon and that will get you through till then. And he was absolutely right. But my point in that was this. It was the pain that was precluding me to think about anything else. I couldn't think about anything else till the pain had gone. 
And likewise with Elijah. He was in a place so low, so discouraged, so despondent, he was giving up life itself. And when you are there, please remember verse 9. It was the presence of God. It was interacting with Him. It was that time when intimacy with Him was so important, nothing else would satisfy Elijah. And so in verse 9, that's exactly what the passage tells us. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replies, I have been very zealous, and I've been doing this and doing that and doing the other. And then God says to him, well, notice what he says. He says to him, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And please notice, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now there are very few occasions in Scripture where God manifests Himself to an individual. You're educated enough in biblical theology to know that it's called a theophany, a physical manifestation of God. And in dealing with Elijah, that's exactly what happens. And as God appears to Elijah at the mouth of the cave, he comes in a mighty wind. And can you imagine the force of that wind that in fact the rock face begins to crumble in the presence of God's majesty and wonder and power? And then an earthquake. The earth begins to tremble and shake. And you can imagine Elijah thinking, good night, I'm not sure if I can take this. And then eventually it dies down. And as he covers his head with his cloak and moves to the mouth of the cave, the fire flashes past the mouth of the cave and a gentle whisper. And that's our final lesson this morning. A gentle whisper. Please hear this. God will not speak above the cacophony of circumstance and noise of our life in a 21st century. He will encourage you to be quiet. He will encourage you to slow down. He will encourage you to listen. But he will never fight for your attention. He's going to say when you are quiet, when you are listening, when you are ready for me to speak into your life through the pages of my word, that's the time for us to engage. That's why in the Old Testament book of the Psalms, several times we read, Be still and know that I am God. And if we would rather spend our days emailing, texting, on TikTok, WhatsApp, He will let us do exactly that. 
And until we put it down, until we switch off our screen, till we prayerfully, intentionally enter into his presence and slow down enough, he refuses to shout. And it's in that quiet moment between God and Elijah that Elijah is ultimately restored. And Elijah realizes that if you continue to bend the bow, someday it's going to snap. And Elijah needed the presence of God to refresh him and renew him. He needed to put down and let go of grief over past events, derailed dreams, high hopes, colliding with harsh realities. Does it sound like us? listening to the still, small voice of God that whispers into our lives, then we are renewed, then we are refreshed, then we can rest in Him and remind ourselves that we can absolutely trust in the invincibility of God's grace. So my closing challenge this morning is this. In the week ahead... Carve out time to be quiet, to be still, to open up his word and let him speak into your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture this morning. Thank you that when we find ourselves despondent, discouraged, far from you, Remind us, please, of the importance of rest and healthy nourishment. Help us not to seek isolation and solitude, but in fact to appreciate and enjoy the wisdom and encouragement and prayers of friends. And ultimately allow us, please, to rest in you. Father, for those of us hurting this morning, for those of us challenged and fearful and uncertain, quietly speak into our lives. Resource us, equip us, strengthen, refresh, renew us, please, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.